And we are back at it. Welcome back to Third Coast Podcast. <laughs> Live in effect in the cold shed. Um, we do have inclement weather this afternoon, guys. So just bear with us and we'll get through this. It's just me on this Monday cold afternoon. And we are about to be calling in Mr. Mitchling. And I think it's going to be a... A great, great interview, and just bear with us, and we're about to get rolling. Let's see if Mitch answers the phone. Hello? Oh, hello. Can you hear me good? I sure can. Let me raise, raising your volume up a little bit. How are you doing this afternoon, Mitch? I am... Way better than I was yesterday when I called you. Oh, we got some rest in? Oh, yeah. Finally. Fucking finally. And so was it a, it's been a, a long, what, 10 days on your adventure? Oh, man. Yeah, it has. Uh, it's, it's, it was 10 days that felt like a month and a half. Because, uh, uh is this the pre-call or we own? No, we own. We live. Oh, hell. Is it is it just you, my friend? Yeah, it's just me this afternoon. Oh, awesome, awesome. We can get we can get personal. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, it was it was six eighteen hour days where like we literally just stopped for our bodies to pass out and uh, reboot four and a half five hours later. Is um. The ten day scale was that because of the recording time you had on the SS Kid? You only had a limited window. Yes, yes, we only had we only had five days on the Kid, and um, so this was the it, it was a multi tier schedule. Like the first uh, the first day was January the fifth, which is my birthday. So me and the producer. Uh, had a bass went down to New Orleans, you know, early down the fifth, so we can celebrate. Um, the sixth was the uh, fan expo over in New uh, New Orleans. Did you hear about that? Oh yeah, yeah, I saw the uh, expo going down there. I seen you brought uh, Bogman down there too. Yes, we did. That was the whole. That was the whole point was to get uh, Bogman up there and get some promotional for for the movies. And uh, so we uh, we showed up there on the sixth and brought. Well, actually, before the sixth, in the morning time, we brought Bogman out in the streets of New Orleans, and uh, it was a lot of fun because people were, you know, he was scaring the hell out of everybody walking down the road, especially anybody that was coming out of a store or a restaurant. They and they saw him. They most of the time screaming around the other direction. And for New Orleans, that's uh. I thought that would be kind of, you know, normal <laughs> to see Bogman walking down the road. <laughs> especially with the fan expo happening the same day. You know, we was like, oh, oh, they're scared. Awesome. What was some of the highlights yeah. from the uh, expo? Uh, talking, uh, meeting Danny Trejo. I mean, meeting and talking to Bruce Campbell and Jason Lee. Um, those were... And the uh, like, as soon as 
Christian showed up in the bog man suit, he was just pretty much kind of swarmed. Almost like, you know, the Beatles. Like he just people were just trying to get pictures with them and then like, you know, trying to like touch the suit and everything. And it was so many people that I just kinda like I walked away so let me go over here and let let them let the PR work itself. Yeah. Man, that uh Bruce Campbell, that's the dude from uh the evil evil dead. Oh yeah. Yeah, with the oh, shotgun yeah. on the arm. Uh, no mm-hmm. chainsaw. Chainsaw, yeah, chainsaw. All that, and so after- no, we actually, we actually uh, had a moment to talk to him, just a few moments, um, yeah, outside of the normal like line stuff, and uh, it was, you know, you know how they say never meet your heroes, you know. Uh, he was as charming as he could possibly be, but whenever we met with him, we were trying to pitch in the idea of maybe going to do a two-day cameo in our seventh movie later on down the road, you know. Yeah. And uh, and uh, he wouldn't even accept the Bogman DVD from me. He was just like, "No, nah, man, I got my own shit. I got to worry about. I ain't worried about that." Well, would you like a DVD? No, nah, man, I can't take that shit. I, I can't take that. But well, all right. So we walked down to uh, Jason Lee's and talked to him, and uh, he actually did accept the DVD. He's like, hey, man, yeah, I'm, this is, looks pretty cool. You made this? I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, I'll take it home, and I'll, I'll watch it, man. I'll, uh, I'll reach out if I like it. So that was awesome. Same thing with Danny Trejo. He accepted it said, yeah, I told him about the old Chupacabra movie, and uh, he said he would at least take it home and watch it and see what he thought. Oh, that's cool. Hey, you never know. You, you, you never, never know. know. And that's what the movie Viz is, stuff that you never know. So after New Orleans, you you celebrated your birthday, you said, too, down there, right? Well, yeah, we still, that was day one. Day one on the 5th was just celebration. And uh, we had a really good time. Uh, our producer, Adam Bass, we, kept, we started calling him Captain New Orleans. Because he like he came alive in that scene where we were walking down the streets, he was just everywhere. He would run into a club and go jump on the stage with one of the bands playing, <laughs> and then just like run back out real quick. But we uh, we had a really good time. But we were uh, staying in that place that used to be a brothel way back in the day. Yeah, I seen and, some of the pictures you posted. And there, we uh, my room was at the very, very top of all those stairs. So every single time we went to the room, we had to walk up 52 steps. Every, we counted them because, you know, especially that second time, I was like, listen, if we're going to be a little bit tipsy later, I need to know exactly how many <laughs> steps I'm working with here so I can get up all these. What's that, like three flights? It, it was, it was, that place was like a fucking dolly painting. With like stairs going whichever which way that went to different places, and you think that this way is the right way to get to your room, but it's going to a dead end, really. What was so, the name of that hotel? Um, uh, Hotel Royale. Hotel Royale. If you like hotel stairs, that's the hotel for y'all uh, listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> I made a joke. I was like, "Man, them uh, them nineteenth century prostitutes—they really got their steps in at work for sure." <laughs> So after after New Orleans, y'all went to Baton Rouge, right? To the SS yeah, we, kid. Yes, we were. We showed up at Baton Rouge on the seventh, 
and uh, all the crew was there. Uh, most of the cast was there. We had these two Airbnbs set up for, you know, 12 people each to sleep in. So that first night we met up and we kind of went over the game plan with everyone. And, uh, you know, I knew I, I, mean, I had an idea of what was about to happen. You know, I've been telling everybody for months that this is going to be hard and that this is going to be miserable, but the most miserable fun that we've ever had. And so I had an idea of how tough it was going to be, but it turns out like it was even tougher than what I could have possibly prepared for. But uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But since we were there that last night in Baton Rouge and we all had Airbnb and Everybody was there. I was just like, hey, guys, now's the time. Get out the partying. Get out the, you know, and everybody gets some sleep in a warm bed because this is going to be it for the next, you know, six days. And, um, and of course, I knew, like, we had two Airbnbs. We had the crew in one, the cast in the other. And uh, I knew before we got down there, I was like, you know what? I'm willing to bet dollars of donuts that that actor's Airbnb I guarantee they're probably not going to sleep. And I was right because at like 11, at 11 or 12, I was walking away from the actors, uh, Airbnb and everybody had guitars broken out and beers singing and laughing and dancing. I was like, oh, well, they ain't getting any sleep. But, uh, we got there at the kid the next day on the 8th. Super early because we had to set up our war room. Uh, the kid gave us uh, their big conference room in the museum section. And we had, uh, I don't know if you saw the pictures, you know, we had all the different stations set up. We had the video dumping station, sound station, makeup station, costume station, prop station, food station, just all set there in that big room with probably about 10 or 12 air mattresses blown up all around the room and that pretty much became our home anytime we weren't on the kid. And so how many, uh, just not the actors, but like crew, how many uh, crew members did you have during the production of Sea of Madness? Oh, we, we had a lot, man. Uh, it was, it was without a doubt the biggest uh, production that I've, I've ever worked on. Um, because not, not only did we have like our dedicated crew that showed up, uh, which was probably, we had, I think we had 12 actors, 12 or 13 actors there. Uh, at the most, we had 15 because we had some actors come and go just for one day. But uh, we had, those all together, there was 35 of us. Uh, so if you minus the, uh, take out the crew, we're looking at at least 20 strong of crew members. And uh, each crew member had, you know, a dedicated job that they had to work on. And they also had like, Two extra hats they had to wear as well. And with all that, is uh, a lot of the crew members returning from Bogman that you worked with? Uh, yeah, yeah, a number of them. We had a lot of new additions that ended up being invaluable, uh, like Adam Harper, Sam McGee, Chase Munson. Um, uh, that was the main uh, camera crew. We had uh, some new guys like uh, this guy named Moji, who was an amazing grip and runner, and ended up ended up just really being a big asset to the whole team. 
we had two sound guys, uh, technically three sound guys. We had uh, Jordan Alexander and Trey Baker on unit A, and then Zane Fontenot, y'all's good buddy, who was running sound for uh, unit B a lot of the time. And by the end of the shoot, on the last day, Zane was uh, main sound when we got to the party boat. Um, Bit? Oh, that's dope. That's cool. Big shout out, Zane. <laughs> yeah, Zane Zane is is a gentleman, a scholar, and just uh, a gem of a human being that uh, we could not have done the movie without him, literally, because Zane was the one funding everything. That's dope. Yeah, and Zane, we couldn't have did our first live show at D-Max in New Orleans without Zane because he ran all of our sound, brought his equipment down. And, and he's so dedicated and passionate and, and just like always with the goal on his mind and whatever we got to do to make sure that that goal gets fulfilled. And that really was that really was everybody's mindset. Like we did not have a single person on the crew or cast that wasn't all in. And when I say all in, I mean all in because uh, this is something that I don't think any other crews uh, have when it comes to their dedication. But like. You know, whenever you're planning something this big and this the scope of it so large, there's a lot of stuff that gets, especially whenever you've never done something that big before or anything like that before, there's a number of things that fall through the cracks that you didn't even think about. And everything costs money, everything. And so we didn't have any when we got there. And whenever all of these issues started coming up, crew members and actors alike just open up their wallets what do you need i'll go get it here here's a card go get it what what we got what we need so like everybody everybody by the end of it everybody was a financial backer because everybody spent money that they didn't have to make this happen and that to me was like, I, I'm not, I'm not a very emotional dude, but man, I broke down a number of times just because I was so proud of everyone for their willingness to, to believe in this and believe in how good what we were getting, all the footage it was, we were not expecting it to be look as awesome as it, as it was. Cause in that main war room, I think one thing that really helped everybody's morale Especially, you know, like I said, we're working 18 hour days and we're eating like like twice a day and we're sleeping four or five hours a day. And so I was my part of one of my duties was I was always trying to work on morale, make sure that everybody was happy, make sure that everybody was comfortable or as comfortable as we could, you know. Yeah. And um, one thing that we did every night when we got back you know, into the war room is they had that huge, it was like, two, it was like four 96 inch screens that they had connected together to make one big screen. And we would watch all the dailies every day. Whenever we came back to the boat and everyone seeing how awesome the footage looked and the quality that was like, I would put the quality of this movie up against literally any other movie out there. Like we're talking indie major studios, anything like it is on par with all of that. And so much so that me and Zane and Daniel and all of them were talking, I was like, dude, we could submit this to Sundance. 
we could submit this to Cannes. We could submit this to any major festival and at least have a shot for them to, you know, at least a shot of them to select it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, I can just hear the passion, you know, and uh, it's going to be, it's going to turn out great. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it's, um, um, I, I told everybody that at the, on the last day, I was like, Hey guys, I love all y'all to death. Y'all are all my family. But once I get back, man, I can't, I, I, I don't want to hear from anybody for 48 hours. <laughs> I, I need 48 hours to decompress. And even that lasted about three hours. And the next thing you know, we're all talking in the group text again, talking about how we are already ready to go back and do something again. And, uh, because we do have to go back to the kid. Uh, there was a scene that uh, the last day, the last scene, it, it stayed, it stayed frigid the entire time we were there. Like, but Friday, the last day was the worst of the cold. Like it dropped down to like uh, like twenty degrees, and. It had high wind that was just ripping through whatever layers you had on. Yeah. And we got all the way to the last scene, and the last scene takes place on the deck of the ship. And, you know, we have an actress done up as a mermaid who basically all that she has on is a tail, you know, because she has prosthetics on her body covering up her lady parts, you know. And so, but she's basically just completely exposed to the elements right yeah and all the other actors and actresses they are dressed for summer because it's supposed to be like a spring summer type thing so there everybody is just all the actors and talent are just wearing shorts and next to nothing and once we got to that last scene uh, i it just got so cold and we had the we had the time we had the three hour four hour time frame to do it if we had decided to push it, but after, after having that, the mermaid actress there and it being so cold, I, I couldn't justify the push, you know, like I felt like someone was going to get hurt. Or someone was going to like, I thought that someone was going to, to freeze basically. Yeah. So y'all have to go back and try to recapture that scene. Uh-oh. Uh yes, yes, we are. Uh but the USS kid told us that um like because you know we only paid for five days to be there. And whenever the kids saw where we were and how we couldn't really get this last scene because it would be too dangerous for the actors to get it, uh they told us like, hey man, y'all y'all don't worry about it because y'all have been so respectful to this place. And y'all have uh, been so nice and y'all have followed all of our rules implicitly that we got no problem with y'all coming back at the end of February and uh, having a day for free to come and finish all the shots that y'all need. Well, that man, that's great there. Yeah, so we're looking like we're going to go back on February the 22nd. That's uh, the day that the cast that we really need seems to be available. Uh, so we got to go back and do that. And even before that, we already knew that there were like six scenes that we had to film here in town because, uh, you know, the the kid was super accommodating. And I can tell you a, a story about the blood here in a minute. But um, 
we knew that no matter what we were going to have to build a set a lab set because we got to be able to smash things up in there we got to be able to break windows and glass and uh set fire to one of the walls (laughs) and uh we knew that we couldn't get away with that on the kids. So from the very beginning, we had planned that we were going to have to bring everybody back in April anyway to film those scenes once we had the set built. So we have three days on a set left and that one day for the USS kid. But already without those where we're at now, we definitely have at least 85% of the movie in the can. Like, me and the uh, script supervisor were talking about it, and it was like, we have enough right now that even if a doomsday scenario happened and we couldn't go back to the kid, we have a path to make sure we have a full story. Oh, all right. Contingency planning. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm the Batman of, of filmmakers. <laughs> like, all I need is a little bit of prep time, and I'll have like four or five contingency plans. And we did have to enact, you know, enact a number of those contingency plans while we were there, you know, like, cause it's just the way it goes, you know? Um, but the thing with the blood is, uh, I was, you know, I wasn't very concerned cause we were using the same blood that we used in Bogman, And that stuff was really good because I had to get doused in it numerous times. And then I just washed my shirt and it just all came out. Like it was brand new again. So I was very confident, but we we still had to test the blood on the boat to make sure that it didn't we'd be able to easily clean it up without there being any stains or you know because it's it's a historical national monument you know yeah. it's an antique you know uh, and we had we had an amazing handler the guy that was on the boat with us the whole time that was from the museum his name was Tim and he was a darling. He, uh, they they set us up to be scared of Tim because when we got there and they did like the big meeting with everyone, they're like, this is the guy that's going to be with you. His name is Tim. Everything that you have to do with the ship, you have to go through him first and let me go ahead and tell you, whatever question you have is probably going to be no. <laughs> so so we were all just like, damn it, we're going to get in there and this is going to have this hard ass just with us and we're not going to be able to do anything. But literally... Tim said yes to everything we asked. Uh, not one time did he ever say no, no. Uh, but the the blood test was the make or break moment because I was like, all right, Tim, we're going to pour a little bit of this blood right here and we're going to let it sit for five seconds and then we'll wipe it up and we'll see where we're at. And he's like, all right. And uh, so I figured if this is going to be the one blood shot, let's go ahead and make it work. So I laid down the guy that needed the blood all over his ankle and was like, here we go. And action. And I just started pouring the blood on his ankle. And the whole time I'm just pouring and it's pooling and it was a lot of blood. I'm like, please, God, please, God, let this work. <laughs> and uh, we yelled cut and we grabbed our rags. And I'm talking about like one of those fucking sham rag commercials. The blood just wiped right up like it was never there. And Tim ran over there and looked at the air that he saw where all the blood was. He saw how much it spread. And he walked over there and saw that there was nothing there. He looked at us and goes, so do y'all want a job like cleaning the ship? <laughs> he, uh, you know that uh, the SS kid sailed in uh, World War II and the Korean War and, mm-hmm. and took uh, some damage too. So it probably ain't the first time it had a little bit of blood on it somewhere. Right. And we have a ticking clock with that because, you know, before we left and they said that we can have a day, it was like, you can have a day, but 
come April or May, the kids go into New Orleans for refurbishment, and it's going to be down there for a year. So, and our release date is October of this year, the Green Apple. So, it was one of those things that we got to do it. We got to get it before it's gone, because once it's gone, it's gone. That's still cool that it sells, though. I don't know. I don't know if I'm pretty sure it sells to an extent. I don't know if they're going to have to tug it. I don't know the process behind that, honestly. They might tug it. You probably, probably something along that lines. Now they did say that uh, 80% of the stuff on the boat was still operational, but of course, you know, we couldn't touch any buttons or mess with anything. At all. Yeah. So y'all, when y'all did y'all's filming, it was just in like the, like on the top. I mean, like in the bowels of the ship, or did y'all do it like in some of the old old school living quarters? Or oh man, we were we were all over that boat. We had full reign to film wherever we wanted. Like even the the rooms that they keep locked on tours and stuff like that. Yeah, if we needed to get up in one of those, you know, Tim or one of his uh, helpers came and open the doors and let us in, uh, you know, pointed out the things that were the most fragile in the room. Like, Hey, we got to make sure that that doesn't get messed with. We got, Oh, we need to go ahead and take that picture down. So we don't show that Admiral, you know, like stuff like that. But we were, we were all over that boat. In fact, by the end of it, I think that we filmed at least on 70% of that boat. Uh, so was there like when you got to certain parts of the boat, was it like tight spaces too? Did that make it difficult for uh, setting up y'all's sound equipment and recording equipment to get them shots? Well, a lot, a lot of the rooms were tight spaces. Like um, we only had one room, the main living quarter with the mess hall area. That was the biggest space that we had. But besides from that, every place else was super tight quarters. So we had to get creative, like you said, on how we set up the cameras, how we set up the mics. Like some scenes, you couldn't get a boom pole in there without it being seen. So we had to tape up lav mics to the walls and to the lights and stuff like that and test, you know, can you hear this person from right there? Okay, like, let's put one right here so you can catch this person, you know. Um but because of that, we ended up coming up with some really cool, ingenious solutions to those problems. And, uh, like, yeah, it was super tight. And I think that that tightness is going to help with the, uh, the tension and, and the drama and the, the scare factor within the movie itself. Because a lot of the shots had to be super tight because there was just nowhere else we could put it, you know. Uh, but the go ahead oh i was just going to ask with the sound uh did that uh present a problem also i know like capturing the angles might have been a problem but like recording wise like how did the ship take to the sound you know how did y'all get the sound how did it sound in them tight spaces and well luckily luckily we were we're in a, a huge can you know and that actually really benefited the sound because, you know, each room is so isolated from the next that, you know, and it's like I said, you're in a giant can. So it's very uh, it's very condensed and, you know, secluded at, at areas. So that actually helped. That works in our benefit. 
oh, um, all right. instead of it being a hindrance. So with uh, the party barge, that was uh, after y'all's uh, filming on the kid, and yeah, and you said that's where y'all did the the beginning scene, the opening scene. Yeah, um, where they uh, the Doctor Martin and Deputy Thomas characters meet the financier to finance the new show, and they go out in the ocean to party, and they run into the same storm that the uh, military vessel runs into, and it sinks the boat. Um. And, uh, they, you know, they come across the ship later, but that was, we had a, a full day down there, um, on that party boat and it was a fully functioning, you know, uh, fishing boat. So we had working showers, we had a working kitchen, full heating and down below there were like six rooms with two bunks in each room that everybody. And then there was like upstairs in the, in the main living area, you could pull out couple of more bunks and then sleep on the couches so like everybody in the casting crew after we got done filming that scene that stuck around we all just uh slept in the boat in the in the barracks down below which that actually is a funny story with that like uh i probably had a couple of mental breakdowns throughout the week because it was a lot of stress and you know as the director, you can't really take five steps without six people calling your name, coming up to you and asking questions, which, you know, that's what the director's job is. So, but I, I know for a fact, I had a couple of mental breakdowns during all the week, but it wasn't until we got on the fishing boat that I actually had a legit panic attack because you get down there in the bedding area and it's just this little bitty bunk that is just enough for your body to get into basically. And the, the top bunk is within six inches of your face. Once you lay down and I got up in there and I tried to go to sleep. I had the door shut and the lights off and I got comfortable, but then I fell asleep, but then the heater kicked on. And then whenever the heater kicked on, it got to where I couldn't breathe because it was so hot down there. Yeah. So I woke up, in this little bitty tight cramped space that looked like a coffin felt like a coffin and I couldn't breathe. So, uh, I legit had like a panic attack and was thrashing around <laughs> trying to get out of there and like fell out the bunk, like woke everybody up, falling out the bunk, getting out the door and like crawling back up the stairs just to get on the deck so I could breathe. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and one of our actors uh, is also has is extremely claustrophobic. So whenever we got down there and had to film the 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 scene where the boat is uh, is in the storm and everybody's rocking around and thrashing, we had to cram everybody down there like seven actors deep, and he was stuck in the very back, and he was like, "Hey guys, uh, can we not linger on the shot? Can we just can we get what we need so I can get back up there?" I'm like, "I got you, dude. I got you. All right, everybody." Here we go. We're only doing this once. Action. So we started doing it. And then uh, <laughs> poor Catherine, one of our actresses, Catherine, she just she just kept getting hurt. Like she was the accident prone one of of the crew while we were on the boat. She had to do a scene where she was running down a hallway and jumping into a supply closet and she's barefoot. And no one noticed this little area where it was raised up where the girders were up like two inches sticking up out the ground. 
So as she's running by and jumps into the supply closet, she lands like full weight on those rivets. Ooh. And uh, got a gnarly bruise on her heel from it. And then whenever we got down to the the bowels of the uh, party bars to film the the storm scene, everybody's rocking and acting like they're, you know, getting shook around. And, uh, you know, Catherine's up there in the middle of it. All of a sudden, Catalina accidentally headbutts her in the face from moving around. Oh. So, like, we have the shot going and everybody's going. All of a sudden, you just hear, ow! <laughs> well, it makes it good for the shot, though, huh? Yeah. And she was she was a trooper. Like, she never complained once. Even with this gnarly bruise on her leg, she never said, hey, I can't do that. It was always... All right, I'm about to do it. Just uh, make sure I don't kill myself. Well, we'll try our best. Could you walk uh, the listeners through the uh, the uh, the idea you're presenting with Sea of Madness, the movie? Yeah. Um, so it's a character sequel to Bogman. Which is uh, which is doing great right now. Uh, we're it's about to get onto Tubi and Amazon, and we're already we're already at like fifty thousand views strong between the the apps that it's on right now, and it's only been out for two months. And big congratulations um, for the awards you won too for Bogman. Oh, thank you, thank you. All of that was definitely unexpected. We definitely didn't expect to win anything for Bogman other than a pat on the back. But uh, yeah, it was it was a real honor to get um, to get selected for the the three awards that we did get. But um, so Sea of Madness is a character sequel. It's about Dr. Martin and Deputy Thomas. They want to get a new show going, so they are trying to get you know money from this wealthy financier. He agrees. They go and party. They hit a freak storm. Their boat sinks. They end up on a life raft and come across this uh, military vessel that's just floating in the ocean. And they climb inside and they find out that the scientific crew on the battleship were working on experimenting with this black goo found at the bottom of the ocean. And it gets out and it starts transforming all of the, the crew and scientists into sea creatures and mermaids. So they're all trapped on this boat with all these uh, Evil Dead-esque creatures, and uh, it's a, it, it's 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 going to be a lot of fun. And I'm very proud. Uh, it, you know, whenever you conceive something and you're trying to explain that conception to people, it's sometimes a little difficult for the people that you're talking to to see the same thing that you're seeing you know yeah and i had been telling everybody since we started pre-production on this that i wanted to purposefully go with a really crazy wonky color scheme and uh you know i wanted all the colors to be blue purple and green with shades of pink and yellow but mainly blue purple and green being the main color schemes and explaining it, everyone was kind of looking at me like I was nuts. And I actually had a couple of the crew guys try to talk me out of it and try to like, like, what if we just make sure that there's, we bring up the, the lights right here and just keep that very subtle in the background. I'm like, no, 
No, <laughs> I want it to look like a fucking funhouse the entire time they are in there. Because these mermaids and these evil creatures, they are the thing that is influencing these colors and all this stuff. So anytime they're not on the boat, it's in normal color. Anytime they're on the fishing boat, it's in normal color. Anytime they're in open oceans, normal color. But anytime they're inside the boat, I want it to look like fucking House of a Thousand Corpses on acid. And the first scene that we lit up like that, it looks so good on camera that that's then nobody had after they saw it for the first time on camera and saw how beautiful it looked and saw how it matched nobody had any questions like oh yeah this is definitely the way we should have been doing this you know so what uh what some of the lighting did y'all use was well it... that continue i'm sorry oh no uh i i was i don't know why i stepped on you right there my bad um I... Just like you use like a lot of LEDs or like some of those big pop-up lights. Well, uh, Sam McGee and Chase Munson, they showed up with a uh, with a production band. That's what they use to do all of their stuff. This is this is all they do. You know, they, this is their livelihood. That's uh, that's how they make their money is is filming stuff. And they just had a never-ending supply. It was like Santa Claus's magic bag of toys. Like any situation that we were in, any situation, they had a tool, they had a light, they had a piece of equipment that was exactly what we needed. Um, because here was another thing, too. We had no power on the boat. We couldn't plug lights in on the boat. We couldn't plug screens in on the boat. We had to bring in battery packs and have a bunch of batteries charged and charging. And our DIT, uh, Chris Lyons, you know, and the different runners, every time a battery was dead, they had to take it and go put it on the charging station all the way back in the war room and then walk all the way back to the ship to bring us the new batteries, you know, so it was uh, – and then we – at the end of a scene, we had to go take all those – uh, battery packs or where we were plugging stuff into and had to go take that back up there and charge it up and then grab the, the, the spare one that was had been charging during the previous scene to go back down and film the next scene. And like, so power was an issue. It, it, it didn't hinder us more than it just, we, it just slowed us down. Like we just, you know, it just took a little bit more work and running, which, you know, it was so cold that running from, the boat to the war room and back that always kind of warmed you up but at the same time it's like good lord it's such a long distance to run and with all them hours y'all were uh recording too that oh yeah i think the 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 latest night whether whether we were on the boat late or not we were still awake but i think the latest that we we filmed was it like we started we started at we always started at three thirty p.m. every afternoon, and I think the latest that we stayed up was from uh, three thirty until like eight a.m. that we were out there. We had to wait for the sun to come up so we could get a couple of shots because we missed them before the sun went down, type thing. So I was like, "All right, guys, we're done." Sun pops up in an hour and a half. Go lay down in the barracks and get you a nap. As soon as that light hits the sky, we got to get back out there. Ooh. So with with you know 
having to manage all of that, you know, you said that you had a couple of mental breakdowns. Um, is, you know, being a director, you know, and doing this, you know, as your passion, it, it seems like it can be a lot sometimes. Yes, this, uh, you know, it, it was such a night and day difference between Bogman and this one. Because, you know, like both movies, it was a nonstop party that that never changed. We had a good time. No, granted, the di- one big difference was is in Bogman, we were all since we were outside and on our own land and stuff like that. <laughs> we were pretty much drinking nonstop in Bogman. Uh, we always had the boggy ball beers and just were having a good time. This one. We, we had a task at hand, so we couldn't mess around with anything like that. So it was like there was no alcohol allowed. There was no other extracurriculars allowed. It was just, Street this is what business. we got to do. Yeah, and we'll party once we get to the fishing barge, you know, because we'll, we'll, we'll have the time to party then. And we did. Uh, we, uh, we ended up buying like two or three cases of beer that last day and just, just, just relaxed and had a good time. But uh, I will say this, talking about the planning and management of this stuff, one person that became a, an invaluable asset to me during this was our script supervisor, uh, Toby Otero. Because, you know, it's a lot of stuff you have to keep in your head. And it's a lot of stuff that, you know, you have to think about this, but you also have to keep three steps ahead of you in mind because something in this shot might affect that. We need to make sure that all of our bases are covered. And Toby was was every single day. He'd sit down with me and was like, "All right, what's the plan for today?" We'd sit down. All right, we need this scene here. We need this scene there. We need to make sure that we get this hair. And he would take that and he would go to the rest of the crew and just explain what we had just worked out, so that I could focus on going over there and talking to the makeup folks about what's going on over there, or I could go over to Sam and see what's going on with the equipment over there, or walk over to the actors and be like, "Hey, do y'all need something over here?" And um. It was uh, it was a lot of stuff that I was I was not I was not mentally prepared for it. I thought I was. I thought I knew how it was going to be, but man, it it was uh it was so much more than I than even I am I even in my doomsday scenarios like it was it was so much more than what I was prepared for. And with uh... but the only reason that it worked was because everybody else was just as dedicated to the buy-in, you know, and that helps you tremendously as a director. And I, like I told the makeup artist, listen, man, all directors are frauds. We're all frauds. We just, we just tell people what to do and they make it happen. And, uh, and these people did like it, it was humbling at the same time, building up my self-confidence and like, what was what impressed me was just how much everyone cared about each other and and it and it showed because like we had people on this that have done a, like our, like our makeup artist miss Jeanette Netherlands she's been doing this for 20 years she's worked on a lot of film sets did a lot of creature features and and she even said she's like there is something very special about this team and this crew because the way that y'all act and operate is not the way that everyone else acts and operates. And in fact, like she was like, you know, I know that 
what I'm getting paid here is not even a fraction of what I'm used to. But if y'all had not been who y'all were and were so kind and so considerate of everyone's feelings and, and comfort, I, I would have quit. If y'all hadn't have been who y'all were, this was any other film set, I would have quit second day just because of the, you know, the conditions alone. It's like Even if I was getting paid my normal rate, if y'all had been dicks, I would have quit this thing. But I have never I don't know what to do now because like I'm not used to like saying, hey, I'm hungry. And then three people showing up with plates, you know, or, or like saying, hey, I need help with this. And then somebody just dropped what they were doing, carrying something to go over there and help her do it, you know. Uh, she's like, I've been on sets where I'm trying to drag a 200 pound case by myself. People walking by me, not one person ever offered to help. But like, I couldn't get two steps doing something without y'all going, hey, hey, stop, stop, let's get this. So that made me very, very proud of all my guys and gals. And like, uh, the Louisiana Film Commission emailed me in the middle of a filming saying that. They had their eye on us and that they was really liking the stuff that they were seeing and then sent people. People showed up like uh, this guy, this guy, uh, Max, who who was a gaffer, just showed up. He was like, hey, I just want to help. He's like, all right, bro, come on, get on uh, aboard, (laughs) aboard, baby. And uh, he ended up being an invaluable help as a gaffer. Like even Sam, you know, the he comes to listen. I don't know who this Max guy is, but bring him back. Uh, to interrupt you, uh, what's a gaffer? Someone who helps with lighting, in oh, charge okay. of lighting. Uh, once he saw the lighting jobs we were doing, stuff that like the color scheme, he got like super giddy, like a kid in the candy store. Like, oh, this is this is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put some stuff over here. We can catch this right there. You know, like so much so that he was like, "Man, dude, next one y'all do, send me a script asap, and I'll go ahead and start building lighting rigs right now for it." And so, uh, like, every, it, it was infectious, kind of like the black goo. Like, everybody, you know, yes, the art and getting the goal and accomplishing the goal was everybody's number one priority at all times, right? Yeah. But we always, the thing that made me so proud is our number two priority was always treating everybody like they're humans, you know, and, and caring about you know, their feelings and their comfort and making sure that everyone stays as happy as they can. And I mean that to me, if that doesn't encompass open heart, you know, in a sentence, uh, I don't know what does. I'm glad that everything turned out great for your movie. Like it's, it's always wonderful to hear like, you know, and you, you know, you told us about it beforehand, what you were going to do and to hear like Zane's down there, you're down there, and everything went well makes you know makes me feel great that my friend is succeeding. You know. Well, thank you, man. Like, and I'm very, very sorry to let the listeners know. Like, I this originally I was supposed to be there in person, yeah. like because we were in Gulfport, Mississippi, the last day, so I technically could have driven up through Lafayette to stop in person to do this and. Uh, I had to call you up. I know the other day, like, listen, man, I know I'm supposed to be there today, but like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm spent. I'm drained. Uh, there's, I wouldn't be able to give you anything. Cause there was some days I got so spent. My talky word mouth wouldn't make the noise happen. 
and uh, I had to like sit down and talk to Toby, and I was like, couldn't say every third word because my brain wouldn't process it. And he just he got really good at um, distinguishing what I was saying through my stuttering. I'm like, we need to get the fucking the, the 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 guy with the fucking. Hang on, give me a second. Fuck, hang on. You know, like it. Uh, it was a tremendous amount of pressure, but I, you know, all the greatest risks. And all the greatest suffering always give the best, re- you know, results. Yeah. It, I don't know. It is to see you. You're going down there and doing your thing. It's just, and I, like I said earlier, just the passion in your voice. And it's all right. Shit, you know, stuff happens all the time, and you wouldn't be missing much because it's nice and chilly in the shed right now. Because I can't, uh, can't run no heat. And it's, yeah. uh, I don't know if you heard it, it started picking up that ice again, but, uh, Oh, it is, it is ice down here in Louisiana right now. Like are up here where we're at. Like you're, in, it you're looks, back it, in Monroe, right? Yeah. Like it looks like it's snow everywhere outside, but you get out there and it's ice. Yeah. It, it's, it's working its way down here. I think it's the last little batch before we get that hard freeze tonight, but you know, Mitch, stuff stuff happens, and uh, I understand fully, you know, if you're tired, especially what you were doing for the last two weeks, you know, and, you know, we we always got time in the future for an in-person thing. Hell yeah. Like I said, we're going back to the kid on the 22nd. Maybe I can stop by then, because I will only be one day asleep down. <laughs> well, we got about, uh, we got about 10 minutes left, Mitch. The we uh can't record longer than an an hour and 15 so we usually try to about 50 minutes to an hour 15 yeah. but uh I so in Bogman one of the uh when the the story they go into the was it that no where not a warehouse uh that business and the dude picks up the sea of madness and it, yeah. yeah, it's a spoiler for your movie that you just finished uh, filming. Is there going to be another spoiler in Sea of Madness for your next upcoming film? Well, um, no, but we did do something that I was that I was very happy with. Uh, you know, since Bogman, I have made friends with some other amazing filmmakers from all over the country. Like a Mr. Johnny Vasquez, who uh, who's been working on his own Bigfoot movies, and uh, these amazing guys with the uh, Moonlight Pictures up in uh, Indiana, and you know, Moonlight Pictures is a group of guys that remind me very much of Open Heart. It's just a bunch of friends that get together once or twice a year and make movies, and have been doing so for 13 years, and. Um, and they're very much in the same boat that we are. They just haven't got their their break yet, like their their uh, their hit, you know, the thing that breaks them out. And you know, talking to those guys, and they're like, you know, we see what you're doing, and like, man, uh, we love it, but we just like, man, we'll never ever be at a, at a spot like that, you know. We've been doing this for so long, and I'm like, man, dude, this week taught me that nothing is off the fucking table. And in fact, and I don't see why in a couple of years we can't bring y'all down and combine our forces and really make something happen. So uh, we had both those guys and Johnny Vasquez send us posters for some of their movies that they've been working on. 
And we had a scene where they were exploring like the captain's quarters. So we put up those posters uh, on the ship in a very prevalent spot so that people would see it and give a little cameo and a nod to these other little amazing filmmakers out there that are working hard and struggling just like us. And so I think that might be the only Easter egg that we threw in there. Um, um, except for there was, there's this one little thing that's not going to make sense until we get to Honey Hole where the doctor says, don't worry, I had the Bigfoot body in a safe place. We've gone through great lengths because that is a nod to something later. But it, there's two more movies before we get to that. So, yeah, there is one, but it's not going to make sense for a while. <laughs> All right. And also, there is going to be a connection with this movie and the Alien movie that were basically where the Alien movie nods back to this one. But like I said, that's still a couple of movies away. All righty. Um, how long is um, the runtime for Sea of Madness going to be, you, you estimate? Uh, estimate, uh, you know, a, a, at least a cool 90 minutes. And it's going to be rated R? R. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we used a lot of blood. We dropped a lot of F-bombs. Yeah, just like just like Bogman. I mean, it's, it's rated R for the same reason that Bogman's going to be rated R. All right. Is there uh, anything else you can give us uh, about Sea of Madness? Well, uh, that it's that Green Apple has slated it to be released this October, so we have until this October to get it done and edited. So the clock is ticking. That's right, right down the road. I can't wait for the release and. Uh, all the listeners out there on all the major streaming platforms, make sure that y'all stay tuned because in October, Yo, check out Madness, Bogman while you wait. Uh, Bogman is on YouTube and Tubi, right? Uh, it's gonna, it's a uh, YouTube, Falsum, the TLC app, a couple of Roku apps, Tubi, Amazon, and Pluto TV in a month. That's dope. It's and I, uh, the listeners, well, the YouTube listeners will see the Bogman poster, as always, on the Third Coast podcast table. Sign. And also, all the equipment and cameras that we used for this is all Netflix eligible. So there is a chance that you might see this thing on Netflix come October, December. Uh, okay, so what is Netflix-capable equipment? Well, that is a tech question. You have to have certain model cameras that you use for them to even look at it. And if you've used those cameras, uh, they will at least look at it and then base their, their judgment off of that. But they won't even look at it if it wasn't filmed with these certain cameras. Oh, all right. I'm going to have to do some research. I didn't know that there were certain cameras that... That's yeah, it's 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 wild, but uh, man, I want to thank you so much for having me back on again. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you, and I, I can't wait to show you something in private. Oh, uh, I can't wait to see it too. Uh, before uh, I let you go, can you give the listeners a little bit of words of wisdom, Mitch? Please. Nothing is impossible, y'all. It's just really hard. No mountain can't be climbed. 
I'm no mountain can't be climbed if you have the right team behind you. And I am confident in my team. And I don't think that there's anything we can't accomplish. And I feel that, bro. But thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'll be talking to you in a little bit. And um, everybody out there, stay tuned for Sea of Madness. And if y'all get some time, make sure to go stream The Bogman 100 times. And <laughs> big shout out to Mitch, man. Thank you so much for joining uh, the show again. Love you, bro. And be talking to you soon. Peace out. All right, everybody. We just, you know, had a nice chat with Mr. Mitch. Uh, I want to take time out right now to give a big shout out to the TCP Horde. Thank y'all so much for always dealing with some of the stupid memes I post in there. Uh, make sure y'all, if y'all ain't a part of the TCP Horde, make sure that y'all join the TCP Horde, which is a Facebook group. Or if y'all ain't in Facebook, we are on Instagram, TikTok on all major streaming platforms and 5,000Ws.ThirdCoastPodcast for uh, all my buddies that couldn't be a part of the show, all the co-hosts, everybody that's been on the show, a part of the show, help make the show work. We love each and every one of y'all. And I guess for Third Coast Podcast, what it do, Gators? We out.